So this morning as we, uh, we gather together, as we think about this most eventful period in all of history where there was a man who lived and then he died and, and then supposedly he, he rose from the dead, it, did it actually happen? And, and what if we come here this morning and really we're filled with more doubts than we are convictions that these things are true? Uh, what we want to talk about today is that it is true and, and no matter what kind of doubts you have, that there's enough evidence to believe and sometimes when we think about people who really believe, the only way you can believe is you have great faith. But the real question is, do you have the faith as a mustard seed? Because all you have to have is enough faith to really be convinced that what we're talking about today is really true, to change everything about what life is all about. You know, it's interesting as we think about our doubts okay on Easter, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, it, that this particular Easter in 2000 and and 18 happens on April, uh, what's, what's the date today? April, uh, April 1st. And, and this, is, this is a time in which it's more uh, what you can do to kind of mess with people. You know, April Fool's jokes, uh, how you can pull, pull a prank that might cause people to, to wonder your sanity or their sanity. Uh, I, came, I came across a number of pranks. If you haven't really done any today, this is, here's some possibilities. You can go to one of the, the malls and you can find someone's car and create an infinite loop of shopping carts surrounding their car and see if they get into it. Another thing you could do is you could attach an air horn to someone's seat or the doorpost as they open up the door. That, that will really cause a spark in someone's life. It might stop their heart or start it again. Another thing, if you have some skills in the, in the kitchen, you can make caramel onions rather than caramel, caramel apples. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Okay, uh, the other thing you can do, and actually uh, I, I did do this, you can take a regular bar of soap and you can take some clear nail polish and paint it, put it in the shower, and let people try to soap up. And it, trust me, it doesn't work. <laughs> so as you think about life, there are oftentimes people are conveying certain things, and what they're conveying is not necessarily true or helpful, and it kind of causes you to, to go through life wondering about people, their sanity, or whatever it might be. And sometimes when people look at Easter, uh, they wonder, is it really true? And as we look back, and you see some words behind me where it talks about shame and guilt and doubt, this particular day, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, really has no meaning unless there was a Friday before Sunday. And so we do know that there was a man who died, and he was crucified, and he was put in a tomb. The question is, did he raise from the dead? But what I want to do this morning is is I, I want to simply talk about our doubts okay in my approach this morning, this message is going to be given to you by the letter W, if you're a Sesame Street fan. You know, that's, that's, the, key, that's the key letter for today. And I'm going to give you two who's, a why, and a what. And it's going to already surround about the whole theme of, of doubts. And so as I was thinking about doubts, I thought I'd, I'd rather begin at the beginning. It's always a good place to start. And, and maybe as you came in this morning, you're kind of doubting whether you should really be here. Do you ever do that? You wake up on a Sunday and you're wondering, what, what are you going to do? And then you have some options and you can't figure out what's the, what's the best move today. Where, where should you really be? And, and a day like this, you might say, is it, is, is it really the place I need to be in at church? So I, I thought I'd ask that question. Who should be in church on Easter? And I thought I would let you decide. So uh, if you have the outline, you might take that to help you follow along. It, it, it'll help you also predict how long I'm going to speak. So uh, pull that out and, and you can help me with this. Who should be in church on Easter? You decide. Healthy people 
or sick people. In fact, you have a pen or pencil, you can circle the answer that you think is, is most appropriate. Should healthy people come to church or sick people? Another answer or another option is, should righteous people come to church or sinners? Um, again, you can circle what you think the right answer is. And in case you're wondering about this test, and we are going to collect the papers and grade them, uh, so in case you're just sitting back there thinking, I'm not going to participate, uh, we are going to... You all need a number two pencil or, or a gray sales pen to do this. Um, here's Jesus' answer to that question. Jesus was listening to people and he said this, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're personalizing this morning, if you consider yourself a sick sinner, you're in the right place, all right? If, you're, if you consider yourself healthy and righteous, we'll all close our eyes and you can leave before anyone looks up, all right? Some people think the only people who should come to church, whether it's on Easter or any other Sunday, are, are people who are really religious, who have their act together, who never do anything wrong. Really, if you understand what the church is all about, the church is a perfect place for imperfect people. So if somehow you came in here and, and you really are a perfect person, I, I hate to say this, and pastors never say this, you don't belong here, Right? Because no perfect people belong in church because the message is, is we all have some mess in our lives. We've all done things that are all wrong. We, we have some things that are wrong in us. And that's what church is all about. But in case you're still struggling, well, who should be in church on Easter or we could say any Sunday? And oh, by the way, we're so glad you're here on this Sunday, but we do want to invite you to come back next Sunday. We're going to be talking next week about how can you believe in a good God when life's not fair? Anyone ever notice that, that life's not always fair? It seems more fair to some people than other people, and sometimes you feel like you're on the wrong side of that end. We're going to look at what Jesus said, and basically all we do on Sundays is to look at God's Word. We look at the story of Jesus and say, does he have anything to say about life, and how can we understand it, and then see if there's any application for our lives. So we're going to be dealing with an issue, which Jesus did, and in which he, he, he talked about what, what you should respond and how you should respond when life's not fair. But as we think about who should, be on church, who should be in church on Easter, healthy people or sick people, righteous people or sinners, how about people in the light or, or people in the dark? Jesus also had a comment on this in John 12, 46. He said this, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. That's another thing intimidating when, when people think about church or thinking, I'm going to come to church and everybody's going to know everything and I'm going to know nothing. I don't want to go in a place like that. The reality is we come to a place like this because we realize we don't have all the answers yet. We're still growing. We're still learning. Sometimes we are more in the dark than we are in the light, but Jesus came to give us light. Jesus wanted to paint pictures in people's minds, and so you could also ask yourself the question, should people come to church? Are they the people who really see, or are the people who are blind come to church? Jesus put it this way. For judgment I came to this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. So basically you say there are, there are people who think they can, they can understand everything in life. And if that defines you, then somehow you're not going to get a whole lot out of church. But if you come into church and you realize there, there are some things I need, I need to understand, there, there are some things I need to see, then you're in the right place. And Jesus can do that not only spiritually, but he could do that physically, where he took people who could not see physically and gave them physical sight. 
But more importantly, what he wanted to do is open up the heart and the minds, the eyes of people that, so they could see God clearly. How about people who know the way or people who are lost? In Luke 19.10, Jesus says, I came not to, to, uh, to seek and save those who thought they knew the way, but I came to seek and save that which was lost. And if you know my story at all, I've been lost many times. And there's no greater joy than when you're, you're on the wrong path and someone point out to you the right path. And that's what Jesus is all about. So many images in terms of who are the right people in church. Uh, proud people or humble people. In Matthew, Jesus wrote this or said these things. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know what you can tell proud people? Almost nothing. Isn't that true? Because they, they, they think they already know it all. And so, again, if you think that somehow church is a place where people think that they're better than somebody else, you, you misunderstand what church is all about. We don't think we're better than anybody. We've just found someone who can, can help us out. And, and we want to be humble people listening to what, what God might have to say to our lives. I want to add one other that's not on your list. Sometimes people look at, at church and they think it's some kind of an American thing or they, they think it's reserved for some people who are born into a certain culture or maybe even an ethnic race. Um, I have some friends here that I've invited and, and, and uh, I want to raise this question. Is church for people who are Jewish or non-Jewish? Well, the reality is yes. This is the one that's yes. It's both and. And if you know anything about the church, the church began and everyone in the church initially was what? Jewish. I, I tell uh, Kim, my neighbor who's here in the pink shirt, in case you, in case you want to call him out here. All right. <laughs> you, you know, a man really uh, has a, a good self-image when he wears pink shirts to uh, Easter Sunday. But anyway, is that, uh, you know, I, I tell him all the time, my favorite people in all the world are all Jewish. You know, Jesus, Peter, Paul, you know, all the apostles, they were all Jewish. The church began completely Jewish. It was interesting. I was reading this uh, over the last couple months. It was, uh, and I haven't even shared this with, with Kim, but uh, there's a man at 800 years ago, a Jewish rabbi, Moses ben Maimonides. I probably messed that up. Uh, but he, he wrote 13 principles of the Jewish faith. And, and this is what he said in Numbers 12 and 13. He says, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarry, I will wait daily for his coming. And so the, the whole question is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Is he the Christ or is he the Messiah? And that's just the, the, Greek, the Hebrew way of saying Christ. Is he, is he the promised one? And then he concludes with his 13th principle. He says this, I believe with perfect faith that there will be a resurrection of the dead at a time when it shall please the creator. Blessed be his name and exalted by the remembrance of him forever and ever. And so whether you're, you're Jewish or non-Jewish, this really raises the question, what is it all about? It's all about, it, it, was there a promised one to come that actually came and and when he came, is he going to do what's promised from the very beginning? That we can believe there is going to be a resurrection for all those who really believe in him. That when we die, that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning of forever. And that's what's true for everybody. 
So this morning, who should really be in church? People who realize that there, there's some things wrong in your life. That's what the Bible calls sin. That, that really there, there is some sickness in our own life that we're not completely healthy. I'm not talking about physically, but spiritually. That we're not always on the right path. That there is, there's a path that God wants to point out and does point out to us. That there's so many things God wants to say to us on an Easter Sunday. But particularly since we've entitled the message, Our Doubt's Okay on Easter. Is it all right to be in church on a Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, if you have doubts? Should people be in church with doubts or without doubts? And I want to submit to you that if you have doubts, join the human race. When Jesus did one of his miracles, uh, the, the qualification was that person needed to trust that Jesus could actually do it. And he asked me, do you really believe I can do what you're asking me to do? And, and the person responded so honestly. And, and let me submit this to you as well, that people who come to church need to be honest. Just be transparent, be genuine, be real. If you've got questions, ask them. If you've got doubts, share them. If you've got issues, let them be known. And so Jesus, and and that had to be a pretty tough question because often when you're asked a question by a teacher or a preacher or whatever, religious person, you you want to make sure you give them the answer that they want. Have you ever been there? I want the right, I want the correct answer. I want the happy face on my test. Are you guys prepared to turn in your exams already on those those things? Is that, he said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And see, that's the kind of faith that God wants, that mustard seed. I believe, I have some doubts, I have some questions that have not been completely answered, but I have enough information, because he had watched the life of Jesus, seen him live a sinless life, he, he had done the miraculous in other people's life, and he said, I'm not sure you're going to do it for me, but I, I believe, but I do have doubts. So this morning, if, if any of those things describe you, you are in the right place. This is a place for you. The church is a perfect place for imperfect people that, that want to determine, is Jesus who we claim to be? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? And, and then if that be true, I believe that God has announced very clearly that this life can't be all that there is, that there has to be a life after this life. And we can look forward not only to back at his resurrection, but we can look forward to a time when, when we die, we will be in his presence. We'll be resurrected. So that's the first W this morning. So if you're wondering how long this is going, you got past the first W, all right? Who should be in church and hopefully realize that you qualify? I know I qualify. I've got questions. I've got doubts. But I've come to that place where I'm convinced that what this is all about is true. And God's not finished with me yet. He's still, he's still changing me. He still gives me a bar of soap that actually works, all right? I can clean up. Well, we want to look at the Easter story. This is Easter. And so let's ask the question, well, how, how about the people who were at the first Easter? We qualify to be in church because we meet these qualifications. But did the people in that first Easter, did they ever doubt? Did they have any questions? Well, let's look at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't, then listen along. There might be a Bible underneath one of the chairs or just steal somebody else's Bible next to you, all right? In Luke chapter 24, just in a few verses, we... We see people at that first Easter. And this is one of the misconceptions, too. When people read the Bible, they think, well, I, I, can't, I can't relate to them. Man, they're just, they're just so much more religious. They, they had their act together. They, they knew what was going on, and so that, that can't be me. Well, look at, we're in good company if we're looking back at the pages of Scripture, and we see that they're, they're a lot like us. 
Well, let's look at the people who were first at, each, at Easter. And did they have any doubt? Did they struggle with anything? Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. But on that first day of the week, which is a Sunday, in some ways, every Sunday is an opportunity to remember, if it is true, that Jesus rose from the dead. But on that first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And so Jesus had died three days before. And the Jewish calendar, that's how you get three days from Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And if you look at the other gospel accounts, the they are the, the female variety. They are all women. And, and they get there, and, and what was their response? Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this. If you have your own Bible, just circle the word perplexed. If you have somebody else's Bible, go ahead and circle it anyway. <laughs> while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And we know in other gospel accounts of these, da- uh, these dazzling uh, men in, in clothing that, that sh- just shone were, were angelic beings. And as the women were terrified, and if you have your own Bible or somebody else's Bible, just circle the word terrified, and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. But he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And if you don't kind of catch that phrase there, what he is saying here, uh, you know, what has happened was told to you before it did happen. Now, we look from our perspective in looking at what has been said, looking back at what happened. They should have been able to look at what they had heard and look forward to what was going to happen, which is, again, somewhat the idea is the professor had told his students what was going to be on the test. In fact, he gave them the answers to the test and said, oh, I want to let you know so it doesn't catch you by surprise that you need to be prepared when it happens that you are aware it was going to happen. So he said, I want you to know I'm going to die and then three days later, there's going to be an empty tomb, and I have, will have been risen from the dead. They should not have been surprised, but they, what, were surprised. In fact, you might ask yourself also the question, well, just how surprised were they? I'm glad you asked that question, all right? They were surprised to the point that it said they were perplexed. Now, just like in our language, if you've ever looked in a dictionary, you'll look at one word, and will it usually give you more than one definition? multiple definition. And sometimes they'll give you synonyms. And those synonyms, that sounds like one of my favorite food items, cinnamon, but synonyms are different words that could be translated from that one word. The word perplex can mean doubt. And in fact, if you're looking at the outline, I wrote down some definitions from the original language. It, it means when, when they saw that empty tomb, and of course you haven't been following, here, here we have the first Easter. Jesus has died. They know where the tomb was, and they know who actually gave the tomb. It was Joseph Arimathea. And so they knew exactly where they had buried Jesus. So they, in great honor and admiration of Jesus, they said, we want to go there and show our appreciation for our rabbi, and we want to anoint his body. 
But when they get there, even though they had been told what was going to happen, they get there and they're perplexed, which simply means they, had, they were filled with doubt. Or to put it another way, they were without understanding. Now, have you ever had that experience where you see something happen and you, you go, I, I, don't, I, don't quite, I don't quite get this. <laughs> what just happened? And if somebody were to ask them, well, can you explain it to me? They would say, well, I have no solution for you. I have no answer. Or they could put it this way, that they were at a loss. I know what's happening, but I, it's just it's not, it's not, that puzzle isn't being put together. In fact, that's another way to, to explain it. They were puzzled. The pieces didn't fit for them. They were doubting. Or if you like words from the original language, what it really literally means is that they, they saw the empty tomb and they responded, no way, no way. The, the Greek word here is an interesting word. It's aporia. And I want to, you all want to learn a little Greek today, right? Okay. We're familiar with certain words that we kind of borrow into our language. The, the word theist means a person who believes in a theos, which the Greek word theos is God. If you attach an A before a theist, you get what? Atheist. Oh, some of you are so sharp out there, right? What is an atheist? A person who believes no God. There is no God. We also use the word agnostic. Gnostic means knowledge. You put an A in front of it, it means no knowledge. I have no knowledge of God or there is no God. When you put poria, which is way, and put an A in front of it, it simply means no what? Way. And so as you think about the, those, those who were there at the first Easter, they were, they were filled just like us. They, they had doubt. They were puzzled. They, they had no solution. They had no understanding. They couldn't quite figure it out. And, and so their minds were still struggling with the reality of what could be the greatest miracle ever happening, that Jesus actually literally rose from the dead. So I guess I'd put it this way. If you're wondering, is it all right to have doubts on Easter? You're in good company. Because his closest companions, the women who went first to the tomb. And let me add this. I added in your outline. The courageous women who went first to the tomb. Because you ought to ask yourself the question. The women were there. Where were the what? Where were the men? And we're going to see this. They were, they were cowering. Uh, the other word here in their experience, they, they were filled with um, perplexion. I guess if that is a noun word for that. They were perplexed. They, they, they were filled with doubt. And it also said they were terrified. And it's the Greek word that we sometimes use in our own life. They had a phobia. They, they were just, they were left. They wanted to flee, but they couldn't because they were just, they were paralyzed. And they, they were scared almost to death at the reality of seeing an angelic being in front of them and seeing the empty tomb. But they were courageous because they went. Well, what happens to the other gender? Well, let's look at them. And I'm not going to use the word courageous for them. It's, it's the cowardice men who did not go first to the tomb. And basically, this is the second who here. The first who is, who should really be in church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday? I think we could all say all of us, right? Well, who should have been there in the first Easter? What happened to them? Well, the women, they were courageous and went there. 
They, they, they were perplexed, they had doubts, and they were terrified. But how about the men? Well, let's, let's read that account. And they, and they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all things, these things to the eleven, and you could add there, eleven men, and, and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. In case you were thinking I was inventing these were only women, it's the women who showed up. And with them, they were telling these things to the, the apostles, but these words appeared to them, this is the men, as nonsense. If you have your Bible or somebody else's Bible, just circle that word, nonsense. And they would not believe them. You could circle that, disbelieve or not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking at it. He saw the linen wrapped only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. What do we learn about the who as far as the men who were cowardice? They hadn't even been there. And and by the way, have you ever heard it when, when sometimes... You know, men uh, kind of shrink back and they don't really take the stand they should or they kind of, they're not really doing the, the courageous thing. You might tell them, hey, you need a man up, right? Have you ever heard that? Well, ladies, I just want to let you know, if you think that the Bible is chauvinistic, the next time your man doesn't do what he's supposed to do, just say, well, you woman up, all right? <laughs> I mean, it's the women who went there. What happened to the men, all right? Well, we, we know the men did all right later on, but right at this point, they weren't doing too well. In fact, when they heard the message, and they had heard the message before that Jesus said he was going to do this, and they heard the report of the women, and by the way, this is one of the reasons we believe the Bible is true. I mean, there's many, many, many reasons why I believe the Bible is true, because if you were trying to, if you were trying to describe something to convince somebody of something that is, that is true that is not true, you wouldn't have started with the women being the ones telling the story to begin with. Because in that day, the women were not even allowed to testify in court. And so you wouldn't have presented it this way. You would have had the men being courageous and the women being cowardice. But the Bible simply tells you what actually happened, not what what we would want it to happen to make it more convincing. And and when they heard the message, what they did is they said, this is nonsense. Literally, it means idle words. This is is women telling their tales. I don't know about you, but I, I guess you could describe that as these men were filled with doubt, Right? Because it sounded like to them, and it often sounds like to us. And isn't the story of Jesus a story that sounds too good to be true? And say, this this is just idle word. This is just women being women. And yet, they had experienced the empty tomb. And then it even describes it even stronger. It said they would not believe. They did not believe. Some translations say they disbelieved. But you're all into learning Greek today, right? This is, this is a word. The word for Greek, the word for believe is it's not that important in terms of what it sounds like. It's the word pastuo. But when they did not believe, again, it was just the, the A or the alpha privative, which in the Greek word, the, a, the, word, the letter A is alpha. It just connected to pastuo or believe. It's apastuo, which simply means this. They believe not. Believe not. And I emphasize that this morning. Is if you think about this story that is too good to be true, that was true for them back then. They could not believe it. They would not believe it. 
They needed to be convinced it was true. So who should be in church on Easter? People filled with doubts or people filled without doubts? The reality is everyone has doubts. The question is, are are you going to take your doubts and investigate whether your doubts are true or the thing that you're doubting is true? We've We've all believed in certain things that weren't true. And we've all disbelieved in things that were true. Could we agree with that? If you'd gone in my shower today, you would have thought this was true, or just a normal soap, all right? And then, then it wouldn't have worked for you. And then other times you go in and the soap is soap. And the, it, the, the real question is, is there any evidence to believe that someone hasn't messed with your soap? Well, if the suds come out, it's probably good reason to believe that it's, it's just a normal soap. So there are the two who's. Who should be in church on Easter and what happened to the people in the first Easter? What kind of people were they? What's, what's the why this morning? Why should we choose to believe and not keep doubting? Let me just give you three things, three reasons. Number one, there was an empty tomb. Last week, we looked at a statistic that 93% of Americans believe that there was a man named Jesus who actually lived and walked here on this planet. So Jesus did live here, made some amazing claims about himself. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. I and the Father are one. And in so many different places where he takes on the role of being the creator as well as the savior. Now, either he Either he is lying or he's some lunatic, crazy man, or he is who he claimed to be. And one of the reasons, the fundamental reason we believe he is who he claimed to be is that when he died and they went, people went to visit that tomb, it was empty. And you say, well, there's all kinds of explanations for that, but are they believable expectations or evidence, reasons for it? See, you, when you look at Evidence, you have to say, well, what's more compelling? What's more reasonable? What's more evidential? Well, they just, they just stole the body. Well, if they stole the body, why didn't they then reveal it and show, hey, everything these people are believing is not true because here's the body of Jesus. Well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. If they went to the wrong tomb, then why didn't somebody else go to the right tomb? And if it was something that was so easily believed, why did the first visitors to the tomb not believe it? Because initially it was too good to be true for everybody. But one unmistakable fact of history is that Jesus died and the tomb in which he was buried is empty. And let me tell you, every other great religious leader, that is not true of them. Muhammad has a tomb. Every other person that's ever died that has led religious movements, they've all died and buried, and they're, they're still in their tomb. But Jesus' tomb is empty. Well, okay, but I'm still not convinced. Well, eyewitnesses. When Jesus rose from the dead, and again, he was, he was needing to persuade those who initially did not believe that that it was actually true, he began to appear to them. 
And not just on one day. And one day, maybe some people could be caught up in, a, in a, just an emotional movement and just believe the unbelievable. But he stayed around for 40 days. He appeared to people in multiple situations. At one time, he appeared to more than 500 at one time. And in fact, the Bible says that he gave convincing proofs that he actually rose from the dead. Well, and again, you say, well, how can I, how can I be convinced that's, that's actually true? Well, there's, there's extra other evidence. One is the question, is Jesus who he claimed to be the, the promised Messiah, the promised Christ? Well, look at all the fulfilled prophecies concerning Jesus. Not only in his birth, in his life, but at his crucifixion, it, it all mirrors everything that's found in the, in the Old Testament. But, but I would say this, as, as you think about it, it's, it's all also so compelling that there were changed lives for people who believed. They were terrified, the men more than the women. And then afterwards, just 40 days later, what you had is you had had these who did not believe believe, and they began proclaiming the message at their own peril. We might be motivated to believe a lie and even tell other people about a lie if there's some kind of gain, right? But if I know something is not true, I'm not going to die for something that's not true if what I'm going to receive because I believe it is death or suffering the Apostle Paul, for instance, his life was, was just awesome in terms of being a religious leader. He was, he was well-respected, and, and then all of a sudden, he, he had this dramatic experience with Jesus, and his life was totally changed. And, and I could dare say, I could just line up people today, and I said, well, has Jesus made a difference in your life? Has he changed your life? And we could just have people, one after another, saying, he's, he's changed my life. I was once filled with sin and, and guilt and shame and doubt. And that's all gone. Not that I don't struggle at times, but the things that are wrong in my life, I know that God has forgiven me. And how people who, who really know Jesus, how they even face death, their death or somebody else's death. Just last week, Terry Lockhart was in worship, and just that week, just a couple days before Sunday, her mom died. And I talked with her right afterwards, and right, she was in church on Sunday, and, and she was filled with hope, not despair. Because she believed that life doesn't end here when you know Jesus. He has promised here an abundant life, but also an eternal life. Those who visited the tomb to begin with, they were terrified. They were filled with fear. And what happened after they met the risen Savior, their life was not filled with fear. How do you explain that? So as you think about who should be here on church on Easter, people who have doubts and you're good company because people had doubts that first Easter. And as you think, well, how, how, how can I respond to these doubts? Well, look at the evidence. God never expects you to believe things just because you want to believe them. We're not to believe the unbelievable. We are to believe the things that are believable. Consider the evidence. Are there more reasons to believe or more reasons not to believe? 
How would you explain the empty tomb? How would you explain all the eyewitnesses' reports? How would you explain the fulfilled prophecy? How would you explain the changed life? So what's the what this morning? Well, the what is, uh, how can I get in on this? And you think, well, I'm not, I don't consider myself a religious person. We're not talking about religious people. I don't have all the answers. We're not talking about people who have all the answers. I still have got questions. We're not looking for people who have all the questions answered. Well, I've got to clean up my life before I come to, to God. Well, God only receives those who see that they've got sin in their life and things that are wrong. What Jesus came to do was to offer life because he is risen from the dead. And he came to display so clearly that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He, he, he has a purpose for you to live out. You're not to be like everybody else, but you are to be what God wants you to be in its fullest sense. But the story of the Bible is that God loves you and has a plan for your life and he cares about you, but there's something wrong in all of us, and that's what the Bible calls sin. Until we give God our lives and believe that what he did on the cross and when he died in our place and died and took on the penalty for our sins, we will eternally be separated from him. But when we recognize the obvious, Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but he came to call the sinners. He came to call all those who see they desperately need a forgiving God. He invites us to come to him. So God loves us. We're messed up, and Jesus came to clean up our mess. But we got to make a choice. Well, how do you do that? It's very easy, but it's very simple, but it's not very easy. And you, you could put it this way. You could put it the ABCs of becoming a Christian. A, you got to admit your need. No one comes to God unless they want to come to God. No one comes to God and receives forgiveness until they recognize they need forgiveness. So this morning, if you're on the outside looking in, I invite you just to simply admit your need to know God. You might not understand everything about him, but you, but you know that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the promised one, that he did die and he rose again and he offers you life. And we simply ask for you, will you admit your need and turn from that which is wrong in your life? Secondly, will you believe and what, believe is not a religious word. It simply means that you're convinced that something is true, that you will rely upon it. You will, you will surrender yourself to that which is true. You, you will give yourself the confidence that, that I will live this out by putting my trust in someone. And what you are is you're believing that Jesus is God and he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Will you admit your need today? And turn from that which is wrong in your life. Will you believe, trust in, rely upon, hold on to what is true about Jesus, that that he's God and he died on the cross and rose again for you? And then the C, will you make a commitment? 
We, we, we all have things that we might admit to and even say intellectually we believe in, but unless we make a commitment and trust ourselves to surrender, then we're, we're just playing games with God. And what God is asking you is, is to make a commitment. Commitment to the one who loves you, sees your mess, came to clean up your mess, and said, I want you to come to me. Probably the most familiar verse in the New Testament is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Admitting and believing and committing. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God, even to those who will simply believe in his name. And you might be asking yourself, well, well, how do I do that? (laughs) Again, it, it is so simple. It's not easy because it's a commitment. But it's simply telling God what is the expression of your heart. So in just a moment, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But if you'd like to know God in a personal way, I I would just invite you to make this commitment in your heart, talking to him and asking him to do what he's promised to do for you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I I know that, that I don't know you, but I want to. I know there's things that are wrong in my life. There's things, there's things wrong in everybody's life, but I want to turn for the things that are wrong in my life, and I want to give them to you. I do believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. I, I still have doubts. I still struggle with things, but I do believe that, that Jesus is God who came for me to forgive me my sins. And right now, I commit my life to you. Come to my life right now and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Help me to live day by day following you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.